Welcome to Partisan Gardens. We can't wait any longer. For a tech breakthrough, climate apocalypse, the revolution, or a reform of the USDA loan system. On Partisan Gardens, we know climate catastrophe is here, and it's our food system's dead end. Here we see sustainable fine dining and ecological destruction, hunger and obesity, extreme wealth and immense poverty. We must be frank about reality to reckon with our options. We must choose sides and become partisans of a new way to live and grow food. This alternative path is already under construction. Through the experiments and struggles of food service and agricultural workers, we are figuring out how to create food systems that will nourish a livable world for us all. Partisan Gardens will feature stories from kitchen staff, new small farmers, undocumented slaughterhouse organizers, agroecology researchers, black farming cooperatives, urban gardeners, indigenous land stewards, permaculturists, and countless others exploring this field of experimentation. Let those of us who refuse to wait proceed together. The current food system has failed. And we are on the side of nourishment and care. Earlier this spring, people across the eastern half of the United States organized neighborhood planting projects in order to widely distribute and plant food-bearing trees. Their motivations are diverse, and we'll hear from a range of them in this episode. But these tree planters are often hoping to build a more verdant, autonomous, resilient, common life in the face of growing climate chaos and the fragility of capitalist supply chains. The Nacogdoches Food Forest, one of the early models for the neighborhood planting project, specifically sought, in the wake of Hurricane Katrina, to create perennial abundance in order to better welcome refugees over the coming decades. For this episode of Partisan Gardens, we spoke to planting project organizers about their experiments with large-scale tree distribution in seven different cities. Some of these projects are brand new, others are on their fifth year, but will be excited to continue reporting on their efforts over the coming years. We start off with our friends in Chicago. Hi, so my name is Nick. And my name is May. We're part of a project called Recalcitrant Seeds, and we launched the Chicago Neighborhood Planting Project in late 2021. We feel it's empowering for people to be able to meet their own needs and grow their own food. Climate change is really threatening our food security and supply chains as we've seen in the past couple of years from both the pandemic and the war in Ukraine can endanger food supply chains or even potentially cause them to collapse. And what we need both for climate resilience and general resilience is locally adapted food production. Um, on top of that, modern agricultural systems are really destroying our soil health. They release a ton of emissions from transporting food from place to place, and people and the earth would both be better off if we could grow more of our food ourselves in our own communities. Yeah, so this was the first year of the Chicago Neighborhood Planting Project. Um, we had never done anything like this and did not have really an existing infrastructure or group or space to build off of. We really didn't do 
a lot of like hype or advertising. We had a couple flyers we put on social media like Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. In 2021, we had put out an interest survey to some neighborhood Facebook groups that uh, some people responded to. And based off of those responses, we created a mailing list, which we had followed up with about our event. Um, but really, it was pretty low effort for just putting these things out on social media. They got reshared by a bunch of larger accounts um, around like food sovereignty and gardening, which I think is really where most of the attendance came from, was from it being shared. And the event was hosted at a mutual aid space in the Humboldt Park neighborhood of Chicago called People Over Profit. And we made that connection with them as we were looking for an event space. Um, they have a free store where they do distribution of like food, clothes, hygiene items, pet foods, things like that. Um, yeah, um, we had the event on a Friday night, uh, 5 p.m., and it was on Earth Day. Yeah, so in terms of the logistics of how we put the event on, we got about five of our friends to help us out. Uh, it actually was storming at the time that the event began, so we had to hold the distro indoors. Uh, we had asked everyone through the flyer to wear masks just in case we had to do the distribution indoors. We kept all the trees in tubs of moist growing medium, and we color-coded all of them with tape so that we didn't have to label them by hand whenever people picked them up. We had a station for picking up the trees, a station for wrapping them with newsprint, and then a station for dipping them into water and wrapping them in plastic bags to keep them moist before they were planted. And we had very large, bright, legible signs instructing everyone how to go through that process. And people handled it really well. Um, people were helping each other wrap trees and helping each other get the trees into bags. You know, we had volunteers there helping out, but we really could have done it with fewer. And it was a really smooth process once people could see for themselves how easy it was to pick out their trees and get them prepped. And we had a tree care zine that we had put together, which, you know, talked a little bit about the project and then talked about each of the trees we had and like care for them in general planting instructions and had that at the first station. So people were able to like pick up that literature, read the instructions to go through the stations and have that kind of entry point into picking out their trees. Yeah, and as for why we decided to do this project, one of the main reasons is that Chicago's tree canopy has been shrinking year over year, and it was already inequitably distributed to begin with. The wealthier, whiter areas of the city have more trees, and the blacker, poorer areas have fewer. And more and more of our canopy over time has been made up of invasive trees such as European buckthorn, uh, which doesn't provide much value for local wildlife or for people. And we really want to see a return of native trees and plants and native wildlife that that supports. And the neighborhood where we hosted the event, Humboldt Park, is on the west side, which has some of the sparsest tree canopy in the city. We really want nature to exist in our neighborhoods, and we want 
ourselves and our communities to have access to locally grown native foods. I recently read an article about indigenous food forests in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, um, and I found myself really enamored with the idea of being able to walk through the place where you live and be surrounded by abundant food that you can pick off a tree at any time of year. And I think we deserve to have natural spaces and resources and food like that in our lives. And another reason that we decided to do this project is because we wanted to make connections with people in Chicago who we didn't already know who were doing the same work or had you know, similar or overlapping interests. Chicago is a really big city. It's really spread out. It's very neighborhood based and there's a lot of people doing a lot of cool things, but there um, aren't always ways to meet. Um, so we hoped that our event could be a convergence point for both us and attendees to make connections with each other. And we, in the event, actually did that. So we connected with other like food autonomy and community gardening projects like directly as a result of this event. These were people, I'm not sure how else we ever would have met because we did not have mutual friends in common. And planting trees is a way for people to, you know, learn new skills and to realize that they have the power to improve their lives and their communities in a really immediate and tangible way, especially because many Chicagoans are neglected by city services or, you know, private investments. You know, in Chicago, on paper, there are policies and resources for people to request that the city plant a tree in front of their property. But in practice, that's something that doesn't happen efficiently or at all, um, or the process by which it's done is opaque and inaccessible to many Chicagoans. Um, so this event was hopefully and it seemed in actuality for some of the people who attended like some people from Humboldt Park from Garfield Park to come get a tree and put it in the ground in front of their home the next day rather than waiting for the city to plant a tree maybe later this summer maybe next year maybe never my favorite part of the event was when people asked us whether our project was organized by a nonprofit or in partnership with the city, we were able to say that we organized the event just as ordinary people without any formal backing or outside funding. We just used a few hundred dollars to purchase over a thousand trees in bulk from a state nursery, and people had a very positive response to that. We actually spoke with some people who work in urban agriculture or ecological fields, and they expressed that they wanted to see something like this, but never thought that it was possible at this scale. And we'd really like to hammer on the point that we're just a couple of people with a few hundred dollars, no extraordinary expertise or resources, and we were able to put this together and anyone could do it. Another really awesome experience that we had with the event was meeting a lot of people who were already planting unpermitted fruit trees in the public way on parkways and medians and on the edges of public parks. So like there's already this community of like-minded people in the city that we didn't even know existed that we've now met through this event. My favorite tree of the trees that we distributed I think is the American persimmon and the reason for that is because 
It's an interesting and unique fruit in that it ripens in like the late fall, early winter, that the fruit aren't ripe and ready to be eaten until really all the leaves have fallen. So in the cold, dark, dreary, snowy season, there's these bright orange fruits up on the tree. And we don't have a lot of fresh produce that's in season in Chicago in late November. So it feels like a really special treat and novelty to have fresh fruit on a tree that uh, late in the season. My favorite tree that we distribute, really more of a shrub, is the American hazelnut. It's a really great size for urban environments, even if you have a small front yard or even maybe a large container. And it produces a really substantial amount of food. A lot of people will critique urban agriculture or home gardening as not producing a sustainable amount of food, but hazelnuts are a very calorically dense and nutritious food. And so if you're growing for subsistence, hazelnuts really make sense for that. So one of the lessons we learned from the event is that when you're planning an event, you should be prepared for it to go well. We were worried nobody would show up because our social media posts didn't get a ton of engagement. And as it turned out on the day we had our distribution event, it was storming uh, pretty seriously. But we wound up going through all 1,000 of our trees in about two hours. We had a line down the block the entire time in the rain, and it really succeeded beyond our wildest expectations for the event. Yeah, and through the event, we learned that at least in Chicago, people of all backgrounds will show up to an event like this when trees are free and when the event is low barrier. So we didn't have any kind of sign up or means testing or geographic limits to who could come. It was just like first come, first serve at 5 p.m. on a Friday afternoon, and it worked really well. We had people from all over. So if somebody wants to learn more about our project or just follow what we're doing, you should go to recalcitrantseeds.com and it'll show you all of our links to our social media and our newsletter. So right now we have tentative plans to work with someone else in Chicago on starting small nurseries for community chestnut plantings. So if you have land in Chicago that would be good for growing a few hundred small trees in pots, uh, hit our line, let us know. One other project we'd encourage people to follow is the Twitter account SOS underscore Sanctuary. That's a source of information on the South Shore Nature Sanctuary and the fight to save it from a golf course expansion. The city of Chicago wants to completely destroy the South Shore Nature Sanctuary, which is one of the only natural spaces on the south side of Chicago, and replace it with a couple of holes for a Tiger Woods branded golf course. And we very much want to stop it. And now we hear from some of our local organizers from the Bloomington Neighborhood Planting Project. Hi, my name is Maggie. I've been involved in the planting project for the past few years. We have a lot of different volunteers roll through every year, which is actually really nice. It just shows that it's a really easy project to just sort of jump into. I'm really interested in this project because I think it's very important to be distributing food bearing trees in our community, meet our neighbors. I think that distributing food bearing trees is a really is really agreeable to most people, but it's also a very important piece of building a community movement and building 
a world that's different than the one we live in. That's beautiful. My name is Kevin. I've been involved on and off since the beginning. And I'm interested in this partly from like a communal prepping kind of standpoint, but also to build a more beautiful world right now and to connect with the neighbors and other folks in the community around food and agriculture. So we do distribution days kind of differently each year. Um, there's been kind of tweaks over time as we've seen what works and what doesn't and done some different things with COVID. But the general format is party kind of in a neighborhood, try to make it try to make it fun and have be a place where people are just hanging out and uh, just chatting and getting to know each other um, better. And we will, this past year, Maggie organized a really great seedling swap, which maybe you can talk about. We do some other things in addition to the trees. Yeah, I great. I feel like the, the seedling swap was a nice addition the past few years, bringing in folks that were not homeowners, bringing in more yeah, more folks who don't have a property where they can plant trees, but maybe have a space where they can plant some annual vegetables. Well, the initial reason I got involved was just because a friend noticed that we could bulk buy trees for super cheap from the state nursery. And, um, you know, we had been thinking about mass plantings and it seemed like a really great opportunity. Yeah, it's been really beautiful to see the trees get planted and see a lot of them survive and continue to grow and a really sort of grounding kind of spiritually to see uh, material evidence of long-term organizing, which in a college town can sometimes feel like really transient and cyclical. So to have grounded, slowly growing things in the ground feels really encouraging. Yeah, we haven't done the past few years because of COVID, but we used to do a couple neighborhood plantings in in just a sort of vacant lot or, you know, we would find a space that was sort of just not being utilized for anything. And I was just talking to a friend and he mentioned that like, yeah, one of those places that we had done a huge planting of like four years ago was looking really amazing and everything was doing well. So it's nice that we're to the point where we can start to see the actual success of, of the plants. There's just such a sort of limitless sense to like how much of this sort of work needs to happen. And also fortunately a really like limitless sense of like the people who potentially would be motivated to help if they sort of saw a structure and saw it happening. And so it just feels like there's a, yeah, it's been great to connect with people in various groups, but also it just feels like there's, there's more on the horizon. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's such a likable organization and it really does bring in people from so many different backgrounds working in the organization and also just to the planting days themselves. It's really interesting to just have a bunch of different groups of people. We've worked with so many different people. You know, we've done plantings in schools and nature connection centers in town and we've partnered with another community orchard in town. Yeah, there's just been so many people that we've been able to work with. And it's been really great. This year, the local food pantry that also does a lot of gardening and food advocacy brought in so many seedlings for the seedling swap. And that was just a huge win. 
Next, we have folks from Atlanta, then Ann Arbor, then upstate New York. Hi, my name is Tika, and I've been doing the neighborhood planting project uh, out of the South Bend Commons in South Atlanta for two years. The first year we started with about 600 trees, and this year we moved it up to about 900 trees. Both times we had one main distribution day, and then some leftover that were just distributed more informally with friends and different organizations in the city. I'm interested in food autonomy because I believe that it's the only way we will actually be able to continue to feed ourselves in the continual crisis and because it's an empowering experience to grow the food that you eat and that sustains you. I decided to do this project because I live in a neighborhood where there is very little food access. It's a food desert, very, very few restaurants, no grocery stores, and not a very active community gardening or personal gardening reality. And fruit trees are such an easy way to start the conversation and start the journey of growing one's own food. I really love the distribution days because so many people come out for the past two years, we've advertised them on uh, the South Bend Commons social media and also flyered the neighborhood around the South Bend Commons, putting flyers in people's mailboxes and up on like street poles. And there's usually a good mix of people that come from all over the city that see it on social media and people that come from the neighborhood. Um, it's like one of our most active events at the South Bend Commons, bringing out like the first year probably... I don't know, I'd say around 300 or 400 people the second year, maybe 300 people over the course of the day. And everyone just gets so excited about trees. People come of all ages, older people come, parents bring their little children, and it's just a great time to be outside and be amongst all these types of people who are all really enthusiastic about trees. I'd say my favorite tree that we distribute is the pawpaw tree, mostly because it is the tree that most people get really excited about and that goes the fastest on our distribution days. It's really resilient. It's a native tree and the fruit is delicious, nutritious, and defies industrial society and capitalism. We're a very new kind of food autonomy sort of project, I guess. This is the first time we've done this. Uh, we're in the Ann Arbor Ypsilanti area in southeast Michigan, so we're not too far from Detroit. And this, this project, yeah, we don't have a name. We're kind of just getting started. Um, the general idea that I'm bringing to it is that food autonomy is going to be really important for dealing with this unfolding climate collapse, as well as having any kind of resistance movement that's going to be able to sustain itself and that's going to have teeth. So it feels like a very important thing to have, you know, looking around in the area and thinking about how are we going to feed ourselves with local simple supply chains and 
you know, people we're in relationship with and the actual ecosystems that we're in. But anyways, as far as the distro event itself, the organizing for it was a bit messy. We wound up just getting kind of extra leftover trees from the bigger distro. And so we only had maybe a week's worth of lead time uh, where we knew what trees we had and could publicize that and to have reservations and stuff like that. We wound up getting 350 trees split between elderberry, pawpaw, and persimmons. And what we decided on doing was basically trying to have a really big, heavily publicized distro event to just try and get as many people out as possible to pick up these trees. Because personally, I was worried if we wouldn't be able to get rid of them all and we'd have to figure out how to gorilla plant like 100 trees. But anyways, we plan to have a big public distro event in a park. And that thanks to a friend encouraging us to do this, we also, it was a bit messy because we only had a few days, but we threw together a reservation form to try and prioritize BIPOC and other marginalized folks so that they can get some priority in getting these trees. And our idea with this was we made this form on JotForm and gave it, not literally in person, but personally gave it to folks that we knew were interested and who we already had relationship with, BIPOC folks, and asked them to give it to other folks that they thought would be interested. And the form also included these instructions on it. We also asked them and included on that form to not share it on social media. So the hope was that we would give this form to the people who we immediately knew, and hopefully it would spread from there through people's existing relationships, and we would reach beyond the immediate circle of people we knew for people that we wanted to prioritize access to for these trees. And I think it worked all right. We didn't want it to be on social media because I personally was worried that it would get bombarded and then the point of trying to prioritize access for certain people would have been in question because it would have gotten maybe a bit too far beyond being spread via relationship. Uh, We also, as part of that reservation form, had a limited delivery option if people didn't want to come or couldn't come to the big distro event which wound up working just fine. Um, I was I was worried about over-promising on being able to deliver, but it wound up okay. Anyways, for the actual distro event, I have notes here from Sandpiper and her experience with the distro event. From her, four volunteers uh, were there for the distro event, plus a friend who helped out on the day of. Uh, this is on the public park. Uh, they unrolled the packs of trees, had one person pull out the reserve trees, set those aside, while the others distroed the available trees to people. Uh, It was chaotic at first, but eventually had a system where each person had a species, a line would form, somebody would ask the next person in line what they wanted and send them to the relevant stations for the species, for the elderberry, the pawpaw, and the persimmons. Most people who filled out that reservation form I mentioned picked up the trees at this big public distro event, and we only had to deliver two packs to people who reserved trees. So that worked out pretty well. And that's kind of the report back for the distro event itself. Uh, We did have plans, kind of like vague, not really thought out too well plans on gorilla gardening the remaining trees, but thankfully we didn't have to do that because the trees were all distroed away, taken care of within about an hour. As far as the impacts of this, it's too early to tell. It was only maybe a month ago or so. It's not clear yet what kinds of relationships and connections we're building, but we're interested in doing it again and seeing how that develops. Something we've learned from the distro event itself, going back to Sandpiper, is to bring extra water to keep the roots moist. 
Also, be ready early. If your event starts at 2, prepare for a lot of people to show up right at 2. And coming back to things that I've learned is that I think intentional outreach is something that I want to do a better job of next time. Having a lot more time to actually spend time building connections with people outside our usual bubbles and trying to make sure that what we're doing is benefiting the more marginalized people in this area instead of just kind of, you know, setting a thing up and doing it and not thinking too much about who it's impacting or benefiting. And to kind of go into that a little bit more, the context of our own area is that Ann Arbor is bigger, it's wealthier, it's wider, it has a prestigious, expensive university in it, and the adjacent town, Ypsilanti, is less white, it's less wealthy, it has a less expensive university in it, and is generally more working class, and so doing a free tree distribution, you know, I'm, I am generally happy, personally, to give trees to people, but I think across the board, people involved in this project would rather that people in Ypsilanti are getting these trees and that we're building connections with people in Ypsilanti than that this just becomes something that a lot of Ann Arbor people latch onto and kind of dominate. I guess that's a long way of saying that part of the point of this project is that it would be political. It's not just like the county free tree distribution thing or whatever. And so who we're trying to build relationship with and doing outreach to and trying to actually like be in conversation with and get these trees to especially because, you know, these trees are going to be fruiting in years, uh, is really important. And so thinking about who you're doing outreach to and who you're trying to actually build ties with and how you do that is important. Jess. And I'm Eric. And this was our first official year doing the distro. Um, we've been beneficiaries of the Neighborhood Planting Project many times over. We've planted several pawpaw and persimmon mm-hmm. groves. Hither and thither. Um, and this was our first year distributing trees. It was a really, really fun time. Yeah, it was so special. It was such a great way to get to meet so many neighbors that I think we hadn't really had a chance to... Connect, connect with. within the path and, and, and kind of find uh, ways in with them. Yeah. I mean, you know, such a like strange, special and groovy swath of people get excited about trees. Yeah. We, we met so many folks who are, are so gung ho about next year. Yeah, totally. And like, and got connected to really cool restoration projects and, mm-hmm. you know, weird entrepreneurial chestnut projects and just meeting people who you know i don't know what form we would have met before but we have so much in common totally yeah it was great um and just getting to ramble about trees with folks is a is a ball um i love got to a tell, niche community yeah <laughs> love a niche community i got to tell a lot of people uh that hawthorne is unequivocally one of the top three most magical trees Hmm. which I stand behind firmly. Every year kind of moves between one, two, or three, depending on... Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a battle <laughs> between Hawthorne, Rowan, and Elder. Those mm-hmm. are my top three. 
Um, I think that's the top three of the world over. Anyway, it was fantastic. We we certainly will be growing the project next year, which is exciting. Yeah, the, the interest far exceeded um, what our expectations were. Yeah, and trees just kind of flew out the door. We love this project. It's been really sweet to bring it home to our little neck of the woods. Yeah, it's been such a special time. My name is Jessica. I have been doing the planting project in Carbondale, Illinois since 2017. Our first year we did plantings in Carbondale to start a food forest and we did some plantings in Cairo, Illinois, who also is working on gardening and agricultural like sustainability. Well, we've held the planting project every year since then. And this year was our largest distribution to date with over 2,000 trees. We operate with less than 10 volunteers, probably less than five, and really one person spearheads the majority of the project uh, organization until the day of the event. I believe that we have not just an imperative, but a sort of right to tend the land and I don't see human beings as separate from nature or nature as something different than what we are. I believe the total ecology of the earth is obviously includes humans and we've just gotten off track. Our distribution days are advertised on social media, sometimes in local media as well. We usually just send to put a flyer out. We make a Google form and we ask people to fill out the form. We've done it differently every year. And this last year we say it, told them that there was a first come first serve basis, a sort of free for all, if you will, that wasn't guaranteed. And then if people wanted to guarantee an order, they put in $25. And those orders we, we bagged in advance just the morning of the event. So people could come and snag those up. And people seemed to like that a lot. Um, it wasn't too much extra work and it did generate enough funds to cover the expense of the trees. We also received donations at the event for people who come and grab trees and that helps generate the the costs. We haven't seen a major um, net profit off of the event um, and the, it's mostly volunteer run so we don't know exactly what the bottom line would look like if we're paying hourly to pull it all off. But overall it seems pretty sustainable as a one-off kind of project if people are into volunteering and organizing and putting that together. COVID changed it. The first year was just like really hard and we ended up with a lot of extra trees and we had to get them out more slowly. Um, but otherwise we always hold it outside and in our really small rural area where there's both less community exchange in general and also a culture that doesn't seem to 
well, let's just say it's a broad sort of more conservative region where it doesn't really stop people from doing whatever. Of course, we wore masks and insisted on mask wearing, um, but also had everything outside the last few years. And we haven't had any issues with that. Really, it just is a few hundred people, but over like the course of several hours. So we don't see like a massive crowd per se or lines and stuff like that. And we still recognize the value in sort of reforesting wherever we can, wherever we are. We prioritize food trees, but also emphasize some habitat trees, which are also just as important and give plenty of resources to both animals, forest ecology and humans. We try to teach people about the types of trees. There's a lot of education around the job. And especially with perennial foods, we're really trying to re-teach people about these perennial foods that have been around for a long time, but that have fallen out of favor in the sad American diet or standard American diet, if you will. We think it's important that people can grow and have access to their own food. And we think that it's fairly easy to do with perennial food crops. You know, I'm about six years in at minimum to in-depth perennial permacultural farming and land management since I've been able to live on land that I, I own and also tend community gardens. Um, I'm still learning a lot. It is not the easiest thing in the world, but I think we have to get away from the idea that gardening or growing our food or anything is really convenient or easy. And we only think there's convenience because of course of the systems that operate but everything has a cost and just that cost is just greatly hidden. So we kind of need to reinvest in the efforts that keep us healthy and strong physically and mentally, emotionally, and also to give us nutritious food. That is why I think this project is really important in that all gardening and growing projects are important. And if done with these concepts in mind, with a sort of vital, radical, ecological focus, then I find these projects very radical and very educational. Um, interestingly, they bring in all kinds of folks from all spectrums and walks of life, all perspectives, I should say, uh, political and otherwise. And very few people disagree that growing your own food is important. Very few people disagree that our diet is way off base. Very few people disagree that being outdoors is healthy and necessary. Certainly, there's tons of caveats to access and ability for these things. So I think it's important for us to work with open public gardens where theoretically anyone can come and join the space and garden. Um, we're still working on the true reality of accessibility in that and there's um, just a lot to learn and a lot a lot goes into that and we usually just lack capacity to really handhold as much as we should or want to in this. Um, being in a place where there's just like a really long history of folks being divorced from gardening, folks not having access to the tools and necessities that go into that or and also the knowledge. My favorite part of distribution days is feeding off the energy of folks who are so excited to see this happen. It's kind of 
interesting because people are just sort of flabbergasted by how are you doing this and it's like actually this is easy and every little town around here could do it which i would greatly encourage them to and it's it's really quite a simple and replicable uh project um it's really fun to meet folks who really think this work is important and it's fun to see updates on my friends or strangers um, yards when they're like look our trees are doing great i think my favorite part is planting the and tending the land myself um watching and observing plants grow how they grow i've just learned a lot about time and how our conception of time both as like humans but also as people stuck in this this oppressive grind culture our concept of time is just like absolutely problematic and when you are able to sit and watch plants grow year after year after year the time frame of trees for example is just like so much slower Hi, my name is Hadley. Uh, I use they pronouns. I currently reside in and around New Orleans. I've been doing different kind of like tree giveaway efforts for a pretty long time now. Back in 2014, I believe, I was living in Nacogdoches, Texas, and I was part of starting a project called the Nacogdoches Food Forest, which was kind of like an early effort for me in trying to do some decentralized food commoning and like sharing of, of fruit trees that I was propagating or buying wholesale. And a lot of what I did in Nacogdoches, which is like a, a small kind of rural college town in the piney woods of East Texas, uh, and it's a place where it's really possible to both be like pretty low income and also have a pretty big yard. And uh, I didn't have a yard. I, I just lived in an apartment building, but it had, you know, permission to have like a little bit of a, a nursery. Well, it wasn't exactly permission, but I, I had a nursery inside my apartment. And I also like had a little bit of a garden space that we were allowed to have at the at the apartment complex. And from there, like I, I wanted more space to grow and I also wanted to share food with people. So I just kind of reached out to some churches, some local black churches, uh, senior center, some other spaces and kind of put in some sort of public little food forest installations with like figs and bananas and moringa and sweet potatoes and uh, citrus and different different trees and things and then sort of e used each of those as a little bit of a base to kind of go door to door canvassing just knocking on doors in each of those neighborhoods and then offering to put in gardens for for people around town uh, and that that project lasted for about three years and a lot of different people got involved and we put in a lot of different gardens and little orchards around town that uh, many of them still exist, some of them don't, and, you know, have gotten torn down or have gotten neglected. A lot of them, uh, you know, still have, the, the trees continue to grow and whatnot, and 
Uh, I moved away a while ago, but I, I hear that uh, some some friends are actually starting to begin that project again a little bit. But kind of learning from that experience, I was lucky enough to find myself in New Orleans during the early pandemic and kind of amongst like both a moment and a group of people in which there was like a lot of interest in in finding ways to like start producing more more food for ourselves and our friends and our neighbors in the city as a, just kind of this idea of like neighborhood survival and like understanding like that New Orleans is very dependent on food coming in from outside and sometimes those flows uh, are stopped for various reasons like the you know hurricane season and whatnot and the project I'm a part of in New Orleans is called Lobelia Commons. You know, one of the lessons I took from the experience in Nacogdoches was, you know, both that there is like an incredible amount of unused space and people who have space in their yards who are interested in having gardens, especially elderly people who, you know, are interested in those things but don't have the, the time or the energy for it anymore. But that the way that one was working, it ended up being sort of like a, a small central group of people and volunteers trying to like operate what was essentially like a decentralized farm or like a, you know, taking care of all these different plots all over town, which was like pretty possible in a really small place like Nacogdoches. But it also led to a lot of just a lot of work. And it was like the centralization was something that when Lobelia Commons was starting, we really wanted to like just have it be sort of this like almost just this ethos or this umbrella sort of concept or you know unifying idea if we want to have like a, a food commons in the city and we want to encourage those practices but we don't personally want to be at the center of anything and we don't want to be trying to like look at the city from some sort of bird's eye view and you know deciding where to go or whatever we want to like start with where we live and with people we know and and like growing for ourselves and, and friends and neighbors and everything. So kind of like the Lobelia Commons version of the neighborhood planting project, it, it sort of takes two different forms. And, and w one of those is the one that I'm the most involved with, uh, which is the Front Yard Orchard program or the Front Yard Orchard initiative. And that's something that we sort of advertise by putting up flyers and we also go door to door near you know any of the like spaces or gardens that we already have and even more so than that we've we've just like gotten connected with like people who are are good at planting trees and know a lot of areas in uh, neighborhoods near where they live where it's possible to like plant them in, in some really nice common spaces in in new orleans there's what's called the neutral ground is sort of like the grassy area between two one-way streets and they're all over the city um so uh one uh group of friends who have a have a community garden you know we with lobelia have have two different uh spaces outside the city where we propagate a lot of fruit trees like figs mulberries bananas moringa we're also sourcing pecans and mejas and citrus and avocado and things like that and so um these folks that are that are planting them in the neutral ground have planted you know probably about 75 to 80 figs and mulberries that we've grown ourselves and then you know a few dozen citrus and avocados and 
And so some of those are in common spaces. Some of those are with neighbors that we're meeting and helping to plant. Some of them are neighbors that we're giving them the trees and just giving them a little advice on how to plant them. Um, and we just kind of do this like a little bit all year. You know, there's a big moment in the spring and then another in the fall where it sort of makes sense to plant here. But we're kind of always trying to give things away. The other kind of side of that is is the decentralized nursery, which is sort of our attempt to just sort of take a thing that a lot of people already do. A lot of people who grow food already just started a bunch of extra plant starts and, and give them to their neighbors or their friends or whatever. And and what we've just kind of tried to do is is in the same way that people have free fridges or little free libraries or whatever, we encourage people and help people set up plant stands that either they can stock or when we have a bunch of plants we're growing or that have been sort of donated by one of the various urban farms or urban gardens that's that's part of our project or friendly with our project we can go and stock those um, and that was another situation where, where we started out in the early pandemic with a little bit more of a centralized model of like you know and during the very early lockdown we were driving around the city doing free deliveries of okra seedlings and and other vegetable starts to people in the in the springtime and that kind of uh, grew into this thing of, of of the decentralized nursery trying to just like spread this practice in a way that uh can start to take hold around the city it's definitely something that we talk about and, and share you know tips and information on the the lobelia commons social media which is lobelia commons at either twitter or instagram uh but we also put out something called the Earthbound Farmer's Almanac, which is in its second edition this year. And this year in the 2022 Almanac, uh, we have a nice guide in here for building a decentralized nursery. And it, it kind of goes through the steps of like thinking about containers versus raised beds versus, uh, you know, other ways of propagating things en masse and kind of how to think about species selection and and sort of looking at what is good for your area and in general like the almanac is is something that like we uh, started producing sort of with, with the intention of of having a way to to share like especially locally to like have a resource that's actually useful for gardening in an era of climate chaos and so you know instead of having a, a guide of like exactly when you plant your peas what you know april 15th or whatever you know we have charts that show germination temperatures and and other things like that and in a lot of ways like we initially envisioned the project to be a little bit focused on the southeast and we do like use it it's very useful for us in that sense where like the almanac has a guide for pruning trees it has a guide for propagating bananas a guide for propagating fruit trees by cutting it has soil analysis guides and all sorts of things like that and then this decentralized nursery guide and information on growing various of the less well-known plants that we're really excited about growing like moringa seminal pumpkin as well as you know sort of encouraging and pushing some more well-known things that are you know just particularly well suited for us like you know okra and figs and mulberries and and things like that and so it's like a really nice thing for us to be able to hand to people as a resource to share those skills but we've also been kind of amazed at the national and also international 
reception and you know we we sort of try to have an international piece at least one in every year and it's been really amazing to see the way that like starting this resource that was meant to be this one thing like is also kind of building a network of people that we're getting in touch with all over the country and the world who are who are interested in in ways of exploring and experimenting with anti-colonial agriculture so it was really cool to see the way this almanac kind of grew beyond what we were expecting to use it for and like became the beginning of this conversation with us and people all over the so-called U.S. and the world about kind of our own different experiments toward an anti-colonial agriculture. Hi, my name is Calvin and I run the Athens Neighborhood Planting Project with my partner Gene. Uh, we've been doing it for about three years and we have basically coordinated ourselves during that time. There's been a few different people that have come in and helped us, um, some roommates and friends that have done, you know, miscellaneous tasks. We started doing this project basically after hearing about it, uh, another one from our friends in Bloomington, Indiana. But I've been interested in food autonomy since high school. I heard about a lot of concepts like justice and autonomy. I started thinking about that stuff, you know, around high school and ended up dropping out of college in 2016 to join Mindfire Farm, which is a farm commune out near uh, Millfield, Ohio. Uh, I've basically been moving around Athens since then, but, you know, continuing to do work towards food autonomy and that sort of thing around. And I'm really interested in trying to build like an urban food forest and food pathways. Well, our first year was basically like peak COVID lockdowns. So that was pretty rough. We just did like contactless pickup. We only had like 100 trees that year, so it was pretty easy for us and a few other of our roommates to pre-bag and label all the trees. Since then, we basically started doing just like very lax big distro days at the park and try to schedule it like sometime near Earth Day. It's just like kind of a convenient way to communicate people, you know, some idea of why we're giving away free trees. We basically just set up and let people come through and grab up to a certain limit number of the trees. <laughs> this year they disappeared in like 20 minutes, like 600 trees just like gone in 20 minutes. We also take some of them out before that each year to our different land projects like Mindfire and some others that we're connected to um, just to try to start planting and getting uh, some, some kind of autonomous food in infrastructure set up. I decided to do this because I think that the food forest idea seems like a really good source of community power and resilience. So the building the food forest itself is a big driver for me. Um, it has helped us really branch into some communities like gardening communities and just like uh, people around town that we would never have really gotten the opportunity to meet, let alone make real connections with and start to kind of develop friendships with them. We also have started to build a strategy for partnering with nonprofits. There's a lot of nonprofits and like environmental and community organizations in the area. Several of them have already kind of gotten some trees from us. And in the future, we're looking to try to partner with them to make other sort of tree related projects happen. Uh, we would really like to do some like food pathway projects uh, involving hiking trail groups. 
kind of amazing to me how much demand there is and just like showing up and saying you know we have these trees just draws dozens if not hundreds of people who have enthusiasm and you know really are trying to make this happen really trying to plant some trees either on their land or in their little projects and just like you know really really seeing that enthusiasm and that force in the community is really nice it's a lot of work to make it happen but like not not that bad and like is so rewarding inspiring honestly thanks to all the projects who participated if you want tips on starting something like this on your own please visit neighborhoodplantingproject.org to learn more about the various projects like this across the country and you can email us to ask follow-up questions about starting your own planting project we have an article in a recent issue of the online newsletter territories called rooted in community lessons from bloomington's neighborhood planting project which we'll have a link to on our website In other tidbits, you might remember an episode we aired previously about the Carbondale Spring. It's a profile of some Carbondale, Illinois food autonomy projects, and it won an award for Best Radio Documentary from the Indiana Society of Professional Journalists. Well, very recently, our friends at another Bloomington-based podcast, In This Climate, also visited Carbondale to talk to them about these initiatives. We want to encourage you to check out their episodes about where the Carbondale Spring is two years later please visit climatepodcast.indiana.edu and give it a listen. And remember, if you've got a project that you think that we should profile on the show, please reach out to us at partisangardens at wfhb.org. The Partisan Gardens theme song is by Lynn Rye. And now we close this episode with a different theme song written by our friend David Lesertmer for the very first Neighborhood Planting Project Distribution Day in Bloomington. We hope you enjoy. This has been Partisan Gardens. On this program, we are going to look at the world through the lens of food. We will speak directly to those with their hands in the dirt. But also to those in all sectors of the food world. To the servers and those being served. To the history of food in this country and beyond. We will focus on understanding the systemic problems in our food industry, including food scarcity and racism. We want to talk to you too. Please write us at partisangardens at wfhb.org and we will be in touch.